want to do anything to scare your children. That's the last thing we want to do. We don't want to scare anybody. The tourists come over to chill on the beach. But they don't come over the hill where we sleep. We got nightmares and they got fantasies. No sanity, it's just insanity. My mommy hoping nothing happens to me. So we are back. Another place. Um, what well, where we at? The inner touch in my heart, you know. I got a whole panel of guests today. But you know what it is, is the Negus and Nassau, St. Antoine Alexander, Lord Jalen Willard. Lord Jalen Willard. Lord Jalen Willard, back at it again. Another episode of Everything Cool, and you might see one familiar face, because he know how the thing go. <laughs> but we have... You know. Let's go from left to right, and let's introduce our guest for today. Trey Rahman. Okay, we have Latre Rahman. Hold on. Okay. My mic on? Yeah. You hear me? Yeah. All right. And uh, we have to the right. Actually, we have, I've heard, he, it's almost like he's been a myth. Because I've heard about this fellow for a long time, this gentleman for a long time, pardon me. And it was like, you know, just to, when we were scouting for this episode, it was like, oh, so this where the legend exists. I never, I, this is the first time I actually knowing what you look like, but heard your name. Since probably I was in probably primary school or high school, what is finally nice to meet you face to face. But please introduce yourself, sir. Absolute pleasure, John Boswick. And uh, a pleasure to be with you. All right. So we have John Boswick. And we have all the way to my right. Boat. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, welcome to every cool gentleman. So, you know, uh, tradition we always do on this show is, you know, we always have the Bayman word phrase or saying of the day. And since we have two newcomers, y'all have the option uh, either y'all could give us two or, you know, y'all decide on just giving us one. Whether that be a word, saying, or phrase. Any takers? Uh, to the mic. <laughs> I, I just trying to be decent. Mr. Raman, you probably meet need to help. Kamoli. Kamoli. Okay. Com- have we had Kamoli before? Kamoli. Okay, so the the and word of the day is Kamoli. How you spell that? Boy, don't ask me. <laughs> How you spell boy? Boy. boy. Spell boy. B Y or B U I B U N G like you know oh oh I got a joke I spell it Y is also possible so you know anything we can spell it Marco don't kill me because sometimes you just get like what we had a punk up one time and I spell it and he was like he, he sent me a message and was like bro you spelled it wrong I'm like how <laughs> <laughs> so and then he sent me the urban it was the urban dictionary right? yeah bro yeah and they had it spelled and I was like alright let's go with that um, spelling <laughs> so the word of the day is kamoli for all international viewers how do you use kamoli most of the times it's like you know after you get hit in your head with something and you have like 
this huge bump. We call it a camoli bump. I don't know how else you could use it, but, you know, we Bahamians be very, very creative in our use of words. So, hey. I'm um, sure that's the only way. Well, <laughs> to my knowledge, I've only ever heard a camoli <laughs> So, today we have a very, a very important topic. This has been something that probably has been heavily debated over the years, but... Due to recent events taking place over around the whole entire globe when it comes to social reform and racial justice, people say we need to destroy the old relics of the past that still enslaves us today. And now, you know, today we're going to have a discussion about that good old Christopher Columbus statue in front of, is it the Governor General's house? Government house. In front of Government House, thank you. So, first I would like to ask you gentlemen... Right up the street. Actually, yeah, we ain't that far from there, like, you know. But first, I would like to ask you gentlemen, um, any one of you could go first. Like, what are your thoughts as it pertains to the statue? Please, let Mr. Go ahead, Mr. Ramos. Speak to the statue. Into the mic. I mean, the irony of it, I think he was there that day. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, when we were uh, discussing the issue. I mean, uh, for me, I think that um, uh, the, the, the origin of the statue is one that always brings a perplex in my mind because the governor at the time was a the, the governor at the time was a progressive and the uh, reasoning behind it was to um, demonstrate to those who were against the uh, pro-abolition of slavery or, or the freedom of slaves it was a sort of in-your-face gesture and I think one of the things that historians sort of stare blankly is why would he use Christopher Columbus and I think uh, the what I think Sean McQueenie was saying to me at, at the time was that the, the governor wouldn't have been aware of some of the crimes that Columbus would have committed. And it's only until now we've become truly in the, educated on the true crimes of Columbus. And so you have historians divided on one side. Um, one, if you move a Christopher Columbus statue, you then set a precedent that any time you go inside of Bahamian history, and you find something you dislike, do you then move? Then do you then go and move that statue? So, my position on the issue is 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 that one. I do believe that um, I have some concerns about the statue existing there, particularly in the way it is it has been exhibited in, in downtown. I don't know. I don't. I am not certain as to how the story is told, but I do believe that um, one as a country we ought to uh, build institutions that host of uh, uh, history in a, in, in, in a way where we could tell a time log of what sequence of events in a given place and that we should utilize that. I would even go as far as putting the, putting the governor out there to tell a real story about what happened. So that's my view. I'm not, I'm not, uh, the issue, the issue is deep. I mean, some people say that it speaks to who we are as a people and we should put uh, a Bahamian hero there, but I think that um, if you want to preserve the story, the replacement should be um, Governor Carmichael. You know, um, and again, I, I appreciate that view. I think that's a, a, a mature a, a mature take. It is. Um, it is it's very much the the view that I've expounded um, somewhat publicly. I, I live in the shadow of Columbus's statue, and that's how I was able to see Mr. Ramming um, when he was making his... Uh, his uh, speech at that time, I think, was more to, to move him. Um, but the, 
and living there for, for 20 odd years, I've had plenty of time to look at him and think about him and why he's there and how he got there. And the story is correct that Governor Carmichael uh, at the time, who was an abolitionist, um, who in fact the uh, white establishment at the time, um, descendants of whom are still very much empowered here, fought like hell to get him out of the Bahamas and in fact pushed him out. Um, and he ended up further down south, but he continued along um, the policy of abolition. And the placing of Columbus, where he put him, was a very much uh, in-your-face statement. He had originally wanted to put that statue in Parliament Square. And the powers to be at the time objected. He fought them so hard that he had actually put some of the members of Parliament in jail for things like beating slaves and for their attitudes towards especially female slaves. Um, and he, Carmichael gets his name from him because he actually built a church out in Carmichael where there was a community of free black men. And uh, he associated with them and went to church with them rather than with the powers that be in town, the white powers that be in town. And it was in fact those people who raised the money to build a statue, which they thought was going to be of him when they understood that he was leaving, and they gave him the money. So this money was raised by black people to build this particular statue. And they gave him the money to build a statue, a memorial. Now, history doesn't record why he chose Columbus. I think he chose Columbus for the, for the reason that he felt that those powers that be in town couldn't fight Columbus. All right, this is the man who discovered from the New World, what can you say to this, all right? And it's not the queen, it's not somebody else, but these monies paid by these free black people, for sure it wasn't going to be Pompey. Now that's something we can come back to, hopefully we have yeah. the time. Mm. We should have a statue of Pompey. It should not just be a museum. There should be a great statue of great Pompey, all right? Somewhere okay. in the Bahamas, in Nassau, probably one here in Montezuma, okay? So, um, and the story of Pompey and what he meant to people like Carmichael, who used that story when arguing for abolition in Britain, um, should be something that should be memorialized here as well. But that particular statue in front of Government House was paid for by free black men. And it was supposed to be in Rawson Square, Parliament Square. There was violent objection to that. No way are we going to allow a statue paid for by black people to be in the front of our parliament. You cannot do it. They commissioned the statue of Victoria and put it there before he could put Columbus there. That's how the Queen Victoria statue got there. Mm. And he had power over Government Hill. And you have to remember, at the time, Government House was the seat of power. The governor still ran the country on behalf of the queen, effectively through the parliament, but still, it was the seat of power. And they couldn't stop him from putting it in front of Government House, which was the house that still represents the authority of the Queen. And here is now a statue um, paid for by Free Blacks to this day, sitting on Government House, poetically looking down at Vondu House, which is the slave market. And... So it is not so much for me about even who the statue, it could have been the Bugs Bunny that they decided to make a statue of. It doesn't matter to me who the statue is. All right, yes, Columbus is the greatest mass murderer in history and all of the rest of it is true. 
And, and um, Mr. Rowling, I actually challenged Mr. McSweeney. If you look at the history, you will see that Columbus and his brother were actually, they were trying to try them for the horrendous things that when they found out what they were doing in the New World, they were actually going to be put on trial in Portugal and Italy. So they, they, it was known that they were... They got Okay, that they were brutes, mm. modern brutes. They were mass murderers. But for me, it is not about the statue. It is about the who put it there and why, who paid for it, what it symbolizes, the fact that free blacks at that time put that statue there and it's looking down at Vondu House, which is the slave market, by which some of their ancestry would have arrived, their recent ancestry, if not some of them, would have come by. It is a sign of great triumph to me, and a sign of great triumph and of resistance. Um, but, you know, we could speak more to, to Columbus and the irony of it all. Yeah, because um, I find that very ironic how you have the person that sort of ignited the transatlantic slave trade looking down at the slave market. Did he ignite the transatlantic slave trade, though? I mean, that could be debated. That, I think that could be debated, but was he a slaver? No. That cannot be debated. Yeah. Yes, he was, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, but that you will have it looking down as paid for by free blacks. The reason that is there is a symbol of defiance. Okay. Now, what do we do? How do we tell that story? Because that story must be told. It can't just be there that we have embraced yeah. Columbus standing in front of government house because nobody would know the depth of our story. So, and, and, you know, in thinking about it, you know, sometimes you think about these things, you think about it too long and you have too much time and you, mm -hmm. you can think over it over a meditation or two. And so, you know what we should do with him? We should just paint him from head to toe black. And it should be the black Columbus. I look in Mexico City right now, there are riots. They want to, they've got the army protecting the statue of Columbus because them people want that statue gone. Mm -hmm. All right? It's a certain statue that they don't want. Where, and it's Columbus mm -hmm. because of the history. And... There's so much talk around it. And I would say, why don't we blackface our Columbus? Why don't we tar and feather him? Why don't we paint him from head to toe black and let it now be the story on the tourist map to say, hey, there's a black Columbus in the Bahamas in front of the government house. Well, why is that? Well, it was paid for by black people. And yet they recognized that he was a mass murderer, but they also recognized that the place that he set first, first in the new world was the Bahamas. That is historical wealth. That is not historical garbage. Just to interject on the historical, the historical aspect of it. I remember um, some of my colleagues um, criticized me on what political implications um, championing uh, Columbus may have. Uh, particularly, um, if you look at San Salvador, when we change... Um, um, Columbus Day or Discovery Day to National Heroes Day, San Salvador took an economic hit. Mm -hmm. People no longer came there on Columbus. People no longer came to celebrate um, Columbus Day. Now, even though it had negative Can connotations, I? even though it had negative connotations, um, that small community in the Bahamas took, a, took an economic view that, listen, man, um, this story, despite the story in a way it's told for them, has an economic positivity to them. And so my approach to all of these things has often been, we live in a democracy, right? Um, there are people who say that we should tear it down, we should destroy it, we should paint it. And so the approach I thought that we ought to take was to use the instruments of parliament, 
Parliament gave us the Parliament gave us the authority to, as Bahamians, to petition our government to look at the situation. That if we petition them, through that petition, we could have an honest dialogue as to what should be done. And I thought that um, um, Craig, uh, Craig, who who um, started the petition on online, who had won like fifteen thousand Bahamians. Now, I do believe that we go through these impulses in our in our country where we have these social re- revolts, whether around the world, and that influence how we see ourselves. And so, I think um, the approach I would take, um, not to destroy the statue, but to let us have a petition in Parliament, let us debate where it should go. By now, we should have a new Parliament. You all you should agree, we should have a new Parliament. And if we have a new Parliament, we use the old Parliament as a museum. And then you could really tell the story, you could paint it black if you wish, but you could tell the story of what happened. So I think the challenge we have in the Bahamas is we still occupy everything the British has left for us, the British Parliament. And so we have to find a way to outgrow these, infrastructure, these institutions. Right. Continuing on the idea of outgrowing the past, I think that's a very important thing because we currently, I believe, in not only a postmodern, but it's almost a post-postmodern world because of the availability of internet and communication. You see the story of Columbus being something that has existed for a long time where people know about the ills that he's done, but now anyone can go online and find out about them. You know, a lot of my education on colonialism and the woes of, of, of imperialism have been through the internet. And through that spreading of knowledge, you see more um, community engagement taking place. You see things like the Arab Spring. You see things like Black Lives Matter. So the ability for people to mobilize around ideas has increased because the dissemination of information has increased. Now, information is important because information shapes the narrative. And that narrative, it shapes your whole paradigm of who you are as an individual because it's not only about where you were born into but it's about where you will die and how will that place be when you're gone you know we we look at the past and we acknowledge the past but we must also acknowledge that there's a future now who's responsible for the future every single one of us that future may only be a day it could be a week it could be a month it could be years and generations so even though yes the past is something that there's a lot of guilt about and that we are pushed to think about what a decision is that should be made we are equally empowered to think about what should be the choice today for the future my perspective is that statues do shape uh common ideas about who we are as people you think about when tourists go on tours around the bahamas they say this is columbus statue this is the queen mm-hmm. victoria statue so not only is the bahamas have a local narrative but we're we have the ability to tell other people our story because we're a premier tourist destination. So my point of view is that we don't necessarily need a top-down approach. I believe our approach can be from the bottom up, grassroots, and look at it and say the only reason that Columbus and Queen Victoria are the biggest statues are because they have the most publicity. Any, the same way free blacks were able to come together and create a statue for a common purpose and have that represent something, we are just as equally equipped as people to come together, pool our resources, and create a symbol that represents something which people can band around and have that same support for. Now, the amount of investment that we put into that varies. But understand that right now, Columbus is viewed as this prime statue because we are just now aware that statues really do matter. And we think about what is our identity connected to, and we are realizing that there's been a, a deprivation of art and cultural development. And that's made us, made us 
react and say, okay, we have to we have to look at what exists. And when we take an honest opinion, what does everybody know? Columbus statue, Queen Victoria. When there's a depth of history that hasn't been taught to people and hasn't been built on and progressed forward, because we've had a complete dissemination of of a wrong narrative and not the narrative which is that Bahamian art has the potential to unite people and ideas have the potential to unite people, but they have to be common and they have to then be shared at that same time. So my idea is bring people together and make new statues and new monuments until we have the point where we're like, we've been doing this for so long, we might as well now get to the point where we can change Columbus, well, but it starts small. One of the things I mean, I think, go back to Sean McQueen, he's making the same arguments. That's the fact that the, the reason we have these challenges is we haven't really outgrown these statues by building new statues. Indeed. So the challenge of this is this though, how do we get Bahamians to agree on what a statue should be, who it should be of? And look at how our politics has suddenly decayed over the period of time. So if I said, okay, um, look, at the, look at the statue of, of St. Linden by the airport, that's probably but, but this high, and look at the statue of Columbus. And look at the statue of Sir Milo Butler opposite Queen Victoria. And so you, you sort of ask the question, how do we see ourselves? With, do we value the importance of investing in statues to the extent where we magnify these people as historic, great Bahamian historians? Can yeah. we agree that John should be a statue and, and rather than Paul? Will it invoke um, the kind of political differences where um, I could be of a political party and say, well, I don't agree that he should have a statue because of my political persuasion. Do we, do, do, can, we have the, can we have the maturity to agree that, despite our political differences, that some Bahamians have done some great things for this country and we should honor them through using taxpayers' dollars but with statues? You know, but it goes, it goes deeper. And, I, and I, I think the, the point that you make is, is, is powerful. Um, and as, as you point to it, immediately to politics. And... We have built statues, but we've built statues. We built flowers and crawfish and, and pigeons, okay? Because you can those things. All right? Yeah. <laughs> okay? And, 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 but there again, I, I say that sarcastically, but also with some kind of niceness, because that is what we're reflecting to. We're looking still at our environment, and this is how we are identifying ourselves with the things around us, with the nature around us, and that's a beautiful thing, mm. okay? And that's what we want to mon monumentalize, is, is, is the nature around us, the beauty around us. And, and so that's, that's, that too is nice, eh? That too is very nice. But even as we talk about these statues, we had Craig Flowers who spent millions of dollars, literally, on those statues out at, at um, Ronnie Butler and Penis Taylor. Out at those, every one of those statues cost almost a million dollars. People don't know that, but they aren't cheap. So, but let's think about what you said, Milo Butler. Because it strikes me, I live downtown and I always stand there and I look at that. And I say, look at what we do to ourselves. And look at the, how strong the colonial dictate is, even in our minds. Mm -hmm. We erect a statue of our freedom fighter, our liberator, and put him across the way, not in Parliament Square, across where there was water. That land is reclaimed where Milo Butler is. And have him half a man, mm -hmm. Think about the symbology of that. Yeah. Mm. Half a man looking up across the road from the power of parliament at the Queen. And he's in a submissive position as well. He's With a hand, like, you know, low and hand. Low yeah. and, and hand up to the Queen. Yeah. Okay? And she's sitting with her hand on her mace and her power, looking down at him. Mm. Mm -hmm. 
And that is what we erect as a symbol as a free black people, mm-hmm. as our symbol of freedom. Clearly not. All right? So even in the mindset, clearly not. We, there are persons in our history who are outside of our present politics. We, you heard what I said, Pompeii. Yeah, Pompey and, and Paul Black and Little Black, Paul Black Cake. Okay, which... we don't have to debate that. No. There's no debate in that. And we could build a 50-foot statue to Pompey. All right? And it's not even about the so-called taxpayers' money. We could challenge the young people to do it. Okay? And then find a way to preserve it. We could build a Pompey out of John Canoe and challenge the people to preserve it, to find a way to preserve it. Yeah. Okay? So, but we haven't even done that out of a John Canoe piece and find a place to honor it. And I'm put it and place it. So, okay. <laughs> the one thing that has been done since I've last been on the show is the box. So yeah. <laughs> when we were first on the show, um, we had the first little art piece, as we Back remember. Back in, when it was March? March, yeah. when, yeah. This fir- when yeah. the pandemic first started kicking mm-hmm. off. And we talked about art as being a potential for development. And largely thanks to the help of Mr. Bostwick, we had the ability to construct a six by six wooden black box and invite Bahamian artists to come and paint on it and design it. And we set up at the Tinfoil Park, which is also now a pretty historic place in terms of what that has represented. And Before over and after. six weeks, we've had the ability to, well, while it was there, well, we need to move at this point, actually. Maybe that is it. You know, we made this monument to represent Bahamian creativity, innovation, culture, and had so many people come together. And now we have an opportunity to even move this box somewhere. My idea is, again, how do you move the box to a place that can represent something? And that box, in terms of budget, it, with everything included, was not less than five, not more than $5,000 to make a box. And it's only six feet. You could easily, you think about, you know, who has to do it. Everybody has, a lot of people have land. A lot of people have live in different constituencies, different neighborhoods, have private buildings. People can come together on the land that they own, come to agreement and say, let's invest in Bahamian art or a Bahamian monument. And that can take not more than Correct. hundreds or thousands of dollars to make. And you could do it mass. You could build a campaign now over the next year to have easily over a hundred of them built in different places and have them sponsored by private businesses or public entities and litter the entire country with stories and expression and think about how that changes the narrative for the people who see them as well as the people who take part in it. And I think that's been our example of taking a stand of not something huge. It's not anything abrasive. It's a small step to represent something and show what is possible when some people can come together. So my pitch is a lot of monuments and a lot of boxes. All right. So that was a great first segment. We'll be about to take a quick commercial break and we'll be back with some more of this riveting discussion. I have some questions to pose to these gentlemen. It's about to get sticky in here. We'll be back. Hi, this is your favorite zaddy, Lord Jalen Willard from Everything Cool. And this episode is sponsored by uh, Nobody. If you would like to sponsor an episode of Everything Cool, feel free to email us at theoriginalpeoplenetwork at gmail.com. Or you can slide in our DMs on Instagram at the Original People Network or on Facebook, the Original People Network. Now back to your scheduled programming. So we're back. You we always have those interesting breaks. Um, these gentlemen have said a lot, you know. I covered so much. Even had me rethink 
some of my thinking points as it pertains to the statue and understand the strategy of why it's placed there and you know everything is always laid out for a purpose and for me it always goes back you know i like how y'all talk about pompeii in particularly and how ironically enough the statue well ironically enough our biggest cultural celebration starts at pompeii square and that's historically been a celebration of freedom a celebration of fight and then you know it laps around all the way coming down to Bay Street where, you know, most of the times we say, you know, how are we saying how the Queen Victoria statue overlooks Rawson Square. But during Junkanoo time, the bleachers sort of blocks the Queen's view. But Tamilo can still see, you know, peer through the crowd and see what's going on. And then, you know, it comes back around going on to Shirley Street and then go back over to Market Street where the slaves over there used to come over the hill, come to the marketplace to sell their goods. So, like, you know, a lot of things we do, we think we do it for no reason, but a lot of it is symbolic. But what I spoke about um, during a break, let's talk about, you know, the overall mentality of Bahamians wanting to be more servants than masters and how these statues sort of play a role into that. I think one of the things that you were saying on the break is the construct of our economy. And how we how Caribbean economies became a place for tourism, right? And you know, one of the things, why, Ben, why I'm a huge proponent of a knowledge-based economy, is because we keep on saying that the Bahamas need to diversify. The Bahamas need to diversify, and people don't understand that the level of infrastructure that is required to diversify economy. You you currently have where only 50% of Bahamians graduate annually with a high school diploma. Mm-hmm. It is impossible to diversify a country where only 50% of your population is graduating with a 50, with, with um, a college, I mean, high school degree. So when you look at countries like South Korea and Japan, they switched to the knowledge-based economy because they didn't have much um, resources. And whilst we talk about Aragonite and all these things, that's good, but we, we, we tend not to focus on the human capital resources, which is our people. So when you look at tourism industry, how do we get the highest net of jobs with a low skill population. If you look at a newspaper, you don't have a challenge finding high skill jobs, you know. There's a lot of high, I, I, I always send my, my, my friends job posting by the central bank and they are immediately intimidated because they believe that they aren't qualified enough to get those posting of jobs. So I think mentally, we have a service-based economy simply because we haven't prioritized the, the need to educate our people to a level, to a level where we could truly flourish in our economy. And one of the things I was talking about um, prior to, to the show is if we were to embrace a digital economy, the reason why we can't embrace a digital economy, if you don't spend, what China did was this, when China was opening up this economy, they sent Chinese abroad to become educated, come back to China, and apply everything it learned around the world. What we do in the Bahamas is we build an industry, we tell foreigners come, they come and they hire Bahamians. So our, our approach should be to send Bahamians abroad, learn IT, learn um, all the stuff required for digital economy, come back, build the infrastructure owned and managed by Bahamians, and you can participate. So I think the reason we have a, a service-based economy, not only because that we have become so dependent on what tourism could do for, for us for, from a proximity-based to the North American market, 
It's the extent to which it could hire a lot of low-skilled jobs, and that low-skilled job from that became the byproduct of Bahamians who could send it to the university, have a mortgage, have two cars. Now, the story of the tourism industry is changing now because of how the management construct is. Uh, owners are paying you less to do more. You know, without aggressively disagreeing, I, I would say it a little differently. We have a two-tier service-based economy, and it is one industry, service, whether it's financial services or tourism services. And I include in financial services lawyers, accountants, and all the rest of them, all the rest of us. We are all in the service industry. Um, bankers, all in the service industry. And the reason we have that is because this is basically a plantation nation. Mm, I like that you said that. It's a Go plantation ahead. nation. We live on a plantation. The world is a plantation, but this mm -hmm. here is a, is a microcosm of it, and so you see it much closer. Mm -hmm. Your Social Security, your national insurance, those are your slave numbers, those are your prison numbers, those are your concentration camp numbers. You live on a plantation. Mm -hmm. So, but this here, this here is, is a special form of plantation. And so what they left us what the colonial powers left us, and they left it all around the colonial world, was a system where they gave you so-called governance, but they didn't give you economic control. Mm -hmm. And we have perpetuated that, facilitated that, and failed to look beyond and look deeper. We look at all the surface issues. But we don't look at the, the root causes, and that is the root cause. The root cause is that the colonial empire has not yet given you full control, and we have not yet assumed full control. Even in this country, we have not yet passed an act of independence. We don't have a sovereign act of independence in the Bahamas. Our act of independence is a facet of the British Parliament, mm -hmm. and something as fundamental as that. All right. So when you talk about our two-tier service industry, two-tier service industry, financial services, tourism services, even in having that, and we talk about, everybody wants to talk about Sir Stafford Sands, who created our economic model. And they want to hate and say, get rid of him and all that. But nobody's actually said, okay, what did he do? And why, should, why are we right in that thinking? All right? How should we, how far back do we have to go when we start to rethink this two-tier? And Sir Stafford didn't leave a two-tier. Sir Stafford left a vibrant agricultural industry. Mm -hmm. Right now, we produce 17% of what we produced in 1977 as far as agricultural output. Mm -hmm. Three months of the sugar output in, in, in Abaco in 1977 provided 12 months of the local supply. The rest was for export. Mm -hmm. In 1977. And go on and on mm -hmm. and on. With chicken, with milk, with pineapples, with citrus. You could go on and on and on and on all types of things. With sisal production, rope production, on and on and on and on. What happened to it? And what happened to it was, was majority rule. I'm just going to get to that. Yeah. yeah. And it was, the, it was the greatest tragedy of majority rule. Yeah. All right? And you no longer have to work hard and come in and work, not own, work in the hotel. Mm. That we would now have third and fourth generation hoteliers and not have one butch steward. Mm. Not have one Issa. When I say Butch Stewart, the Jamaicans who own sandals and breezes mm -hmm. and beaches, mm -hmm. okay? Jamaicans own 60% of Scotiabank Jamaica Limited. 
Okay, we own none of Scotiabank and Bahamas. George okay. George Myers for me is a, okay. another story of okay. a, a of a Jamaican who came to Bahamas at the Bellboy. We, we, we can say George Myers, yeah, yeah. but think of how many second generation Bahamian Chinese there are who own uh, their businesses. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and we want to hate on them, but their parents came here as laborers, laborers, and um, they have managed to move to the next level of ownership because that is their focus and that is their aim. Their aim has never been to get a job. The mm-hmm. aim was to come here and own something. I okay? like that you said it. The right. aim was okay. never so, to get And their something. leaders and our leaders have only been telling us that their job as leaders is to provide us an opportunity to employment. And as you say, if the two primary industries, if the hotel industry is going to be pushed as your primary industry, then the mass employment is going to be in the hotel industry and you don't need to be so educated. So we weren't pushing a knowledge-based economy. We were pushing a service-based economy. We were producing servants mm-hmm. for a service-based economy. economy. We were training through our public schools. We weren't training owners of hotels. No, we were training man. people to serve in the hotel. Even in high-level you know, okay? service Even jobs. Even in high-levels. Yes. You know, Go off to school, become a lawyer, become a one of the things, One of the things that really um, um, pissed me off... Um, uh, in the last administration, uh, we call National Training Agency, right? Now, this was a, a, a high mark of, we, we bragged about this, right? I thought it was a good thing to retrain Bahamians. Now, when I look at the curriculum, I was pissed off because we were, we were training Bahamians into service economy. Like, you had bellboys and bellmen. And I said, that's not what you, you ought to be training people to do because you should be looking at a new economy. And how do we, how do we, how do we train Bahamians in a new economy instead of servicing this old economy? I think uh, our, our mentality from a political perspective is this. I get five years as a government. My main priority is to find jobs for Bahamians, right? And so we are fixated on the, the dividend of being reelected. So I got to find a hotel in Exumo, a hotel in Grand Bahama, a hotel in Abaco, the higher Bahamians to, to maintain the economic frustration. And so okay. what we have in the Bahamas is a Machiavellian dream. All right, an ignorant mass is not a real place. Uh, an ignorant, an ignorant mass is an easy mass to manipulate and control. Mm-hmm. Dumb down the population. When, our, when my parents went to government high school, it was a school of excellence. The public schools and and the, and and Southern Senior, Eastern Senior, which have now become different names, but these were schools of excellence under the colonial power, under the old oppressive white man. But these were schools of excellence where persons where they produced the leadership that took on to majority rule. They've dumbed down systematically, dumbed down the population, bred a service-based population. From 1992, one of the worst things that ever happened was the Immovable Properties Act. Yeah, I agree with that. And now, in order to develop our nation, in order to get a job, we have to sell our land. So we have to sell our primary factor of production. We want to sell land for the second home market. We want to sell land to build a new hotel, okay? Land is the primary factor of production, the primary way in which you get access to wealth in the equation of life is via land, land ownership, okay? So if you sell your land to the foreigner, and God forbid it's so sad in this country, the foreigner doesn't even bring his own money. The foreigner comes and borrows your savings from Scotiabank, Bahamas Limited, that you own none of. So the foreigner comes here and flashes his credit rating. 
flashes his credit rating, borrows your money, goes and buys a hotel in your country, buys your land, uses that land to leverage more money, and the only thing you get out of that is a job. Is a, a job. job. Yeah. <laughs> and what is further egregious? And debt, by the way, and debt. A lot of Because that. every member of our professional class, mm-hmm. our so-called ruling classes, our professional classes, because our ruling classes in this perverse economy are not owners. No. Okay, there's a very, very small elite of, of less than 1%. They are owners. But outside of that, the professional class, the, the political class, they are not owners. But it was, they are debtors. Okay, and they owe on every blessed thing they have. That's why, and one of the things I look at majority rule, and I call it a trade-off, because you got, I mean, the Bay Street Boys gave you political control, but they didn't give you the economy. I mean, you, I mean, you don't have economic control, right? But you, 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 and today you still act as facilitators to that economic rule. Um, but what is so egregious about? But, but today it's your fault. Today, today you've had fifty years. Of self rule, and you have no excuse. No, oh, no, I agree with you. I'm Today saying it's 100. No. See, like I always tell people, I have never seen the pace of of of, of oppression in my life. Mm-hmm. I'm 48 now, going to be 49. I have never been oppressed by a white man. Every time I look up at the foot on my neck, it's been a black man, a black boot with a black face. No, I I I don't disagree with you. You know, I think, um, but what I want I want to make a point when you're saying about the extent to which the tourism industry. What is more egregious about not only becoming debtors of it? We lose a billion dollars annually just in concessions to tourism industries. They pay absolutely nothing, carry their profits, and we facilitate them through concessions. I mean, you, you're losing a billion of the economy. Between them, the two industries, the service industry and the financial, the tourism industry and the financial service industry, because we don't own the financial services, when we sit down, we watch that cash go in the armored trucks and go out every week because they are repatriating the profits from the banks. And we... And some certain levels of the banks, we don't even have the opportunity to participate in because there are foreign currency um, 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 funds and such things in our local banks that we can't participate in over our own land. It's a gross, gross situation. I just want to interject very quick. So, Zay, um, love everything that you're saying, but I want to ask just one quick question. And to piggyback off the comment you said when you was only oppressed by a black boot by a black man. Don't you think that's just something that's a part of the system? That's how it's systematically designed well, for it to appear? Can no, appear? They, they need to open their eyes. No, it's, it's, I, I agree with you that there's greater, right. greater behind, that there's a puppet master. In fact, I like to say there's a Muppet master because, you know, there's a difference between a puppet and a Muppet. Mm. There, there's, there's a fine difference. And if you think about it, these guys here, exactly, these guys here are Muppets, mm-hmm. all right? <laughs> okay? All right. And yes, there is a Muppet master, yeah. <laughs> all right? Yeah. So, and, but at the end of the day, we've had the power long enough to step away from all of that and become our own masters. So, um, with me, I have uh, my lion of truth. Um, to represent courage, but also show that you've been damaged. Sometimes you still got to be courageous. You know, the lion is the king of the jungle. Um, and obviously, the lions ruined the jungle in Africa, which is where I want to take us to for a little bit. Because if you look at history uh, and you look at the colonial breakdown of Africa, because a lot of people don't realize this, Africa is a continent was split up, divided, and passed off 
to peace to peace to the British, to the Belgian, to the Germans. And what you saw with that was local black people split against each other. National tribes were pinned against each other and a lot of civil war broke out because of how you know, the Machiavellian idea of, of divide and conquer. We have that as well in the Caribbean, in the Bahamas, which we've discussed. But the key to it is, I think, addressing our social issue of black crab syndrome and understand instead of trying to break out of the cage by crawling up it and tearing people down and having these issues of our own people, right, tearing us down because they want to make it out more than, than they want us to make it out, we need to break the cage and understand that the best value we have as black people is unity. And that is the most powerful thing. And love is the most powerful thing that we are supposed to be stewards of our environment, of our culture and prioritize community. And if we can really look at our fellow human being with love and say, you are a valuable person that I want to invest in. It's not that I want to take from you, right? Cause that's what got us into this issue in the first mm -hmm. place. If we can choose to give, to people, give to our, our siblings, give to our community at the micro level, form groups, begin to spread that positive mentality. Then that trickles from a spiritual point of view to a social, into an economic, into a political point of view, into an environmental point of view. But the you talk about government high being that hub of excellence, that same mentality of excellence has to become a trend. And we have to make that a practical choice, not just a concept, but how can I practically use either my, my dollar, my money, or my time, or any of my resources to love someone, to give them something, to support a knowledge-based economy? The best way you get it going is by get the, get the trend going. Have an example. But I think, too, um, um, even on the note of a knowledge-based economy, and, I, and I, I always tell people, when they, even it boils down to education in the Bahamas, right? People believe that if you spend more on education, you're going to get better results, right? When you learn in Asia, the reason why they are so successful is because education is cultural. Culturally, they are taught that the only way to success is to become educated. In the Bahamas, we know that you don't have to be educated to become successful. Until we have changed that mentality that I can't, like even down, I, I, like in, in, in um, Trinidad and Tobago, you gotta have five GC, GCSEs to get to um, KFC. In the Bahamas, that's not the case. We have bitterly watered down a meritocracy society. And so until we could change culturally how we see education, the need of education, we will find ourselves in the same position because people will grow up knowing that I don't have to go to university to, university to survive in the Bahamas. But can I ask, a, it could be rhetorical, but between all of us, how many people, younger people, do you mentor? Um, you don't have to, you don't okay, have to answer okay. specifically, but think about it. How many people do you take the responsibility on imparting knowledge, giving access to your resources, and helping direct them in a way that is not based on a formal educational agreement. Because it, I think it doesn't have to be school. It, we all have the ability to choose to have our own interns, mm -hmm. have our own mentees that we are guiding, and you know, pass forward information you know, and knowledge. When I, when I listen to you, it's, it's refreshing because you are the second generation to come up in what is the belief of the modern Bahamas, what we're supposed to believe, all right? And what you expound is what the Bahamas is supposed to all be about, love, okay? So our pledge is about love and unity. Our, our national motto is about forward, onward, upward, together. You know, our whole national anthem, when you cut it up and it's march together, you know, it's, everything is about togetherness and about holding on to each other and about moving forward in love and unity. And 
you know, on a deeper level, I think the Bahamas is all about that. The Bahamas, this is my belief that the Bahamas should be the beacon to a shift that's going on in the world. Because what is coming next in the world is love. You got to get rid of greed. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's greed that's stopping progression and growth. Period. So this move to a knowledge-based economy, that comes with an understanding that Bahamians are now ready to move from servitude to ownership. All right? So we, we're tied now. We great the hotel. And I want to own the hotel. And we could can, we can bring some Hondurans in to serve in the hotel. Let us own the hotels. All right? And, but it is actually happening. As, as we watch it happening, it's happening in some organic ways. And the organic ways, just like the fish fry, happened organically is now being made purposeful. The biggest move in hotels right now around the world is Airbnbs. So that now means that every Bahamian has a chance to move from cleaning up the hotel room to owning his own hotel room and putting his own skill set that he uses to maintain Atlantis and Breezes towards maintaining his, taking my own little duplex now, and I'm going to treat that the same way I treat Saul Kirsten's Atlantis, and it's going to mean that we have the best and we actually do have some of the highest Airbnb ratings in the world because of our understanding of service, because we mm -hmm. understand what it is, what the tourist expects when he comes into his hotel room. Mm -hmm. So we got our Airbnb set up the same way and we got it ready. So the next level of ownership is to do that. And the next level, we don't talk no more about selling land. I, I propose that we remove the Movable Properties Act. No, that if you're a foreigner, you cannot buy land in the Bahamas anymore. Really? Mm -hmm. Stop it and freeze it, lease it. I can't go to the city of London right now and buy no land. I could lease it for 30 years. I can't go to Mexico and buy no land. I can't go to Hawaii and buy no land as a foreigner. I can't go to Cuba. That doesn't stop progressive growth and investment in those countries and those destinations. Long-term lease, but you can't own no land in the Bahamas unless you are a Bahamian. I mean, you know? Even on the issue of... Um, <laughs> um, any, I think Grand Bahama is the prime example of land ownership going wrong. And I think that if you look at this, the, the origin of the Oxbow Creek Agreement what it intended to be and what it is now. When people ask me why, you know, Grand Bahama is a critical ingredient of our, our, our economic development. As long as the Oxbow Creek Agreement exists in its current form, the Bahamas stagnates towards truly economic growth. Because we, don't, we cannot determine or dictate the future of Grand Bahama because we are binded by a, a silly land agreement that is being, is becoming the back of, is on the, the necks of Grand Bahamians. So I think you're, you are right. Um, we have abused land in the Bahamas. We've given it away at the expense of our birthright. We didn't negotiate it properly. We don't understand the importance of it. Um, you, you have people come to the Bahamas, uh, they sit on acres of land for years without having to develop it. Um, the Hospital Creek Agreement. Hey, what they sit on is our ignorance. Yeah, I agree. And that's, that's what and they're the, really... The truth about it is we negotiated these things. So they're sitting, they're yeah. sitting on our ignorance. And, and you coming from there, you would know when I say the greatest crime and travesty, or one of the greatest in the Bahamas, is Ground Bahama and the fact that it is an open strip mine. And we don't understand that it's an open strip mine, that we don't understand that they're mining calcium in Ground Bahama. They've been mining calcium for yes. decades, mm -hmm. decades, generations that they're exporting a very, very valuable mineral resource as rock. And not only do, is it a degradation to the environment, we see no commercial benefit to it. No. And in fact, what's going on in Grand Bahama between the mining of aragonite and calcium uh, carbonate itself, we should not even know that. In fact, you talk about diversification really? of the economy. We shouldn't know that. Those products alone are put into, between calcium carbonate, which is the rock that they're mining, 
and calcium nitrate, which they are organite they're mining, literally hundreds of finished goods that could be made from those items. And the issue when you, have, when you have the primary production but not the secondary or tertiary production, you lose over 50% of the, the value of, of Two, that. Two, 300% item. of the value. Yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure. I mean, my my take, my last take in terms of an action point that could be done right now that supports all of this is if you look right now, there is uh, changes in travel around the world. People still want to come to the Bahamas. What if we change the experience from being ho hotels into Airbnbs and around the Bahamas? And we actually try and think about how do we provide them with the right services and experiences to create an economy and then support people to actually start an Airbnb business. So that would include finding Bahamian art to fill all of these places. Find Bahamian chefs who can cook and do restaurants. That could be delivery in Cat Island and in Andres and in all these other places and have a system which is a digital economy, which does have uh, a focus on services, but the services are all in a business model where there is ownership. And what the value is, is the relationship between the business owners where to say, hey, I have someone staying in my Airbnb. I want you to put a book in there that has a concierge of all the experiences that we have. I want the experiences to come to them so they can pay for that or they can go for them and do them in a private way and have smart grouping and organizing through all of the disciplines. The reason I support orange economy development, which falls under um, a knowledge-based economy, is because it's such a, a, a grassroots way to spur growth. Mm -hmm. If everybody said, by the end of this year, I will buy one Bahamian art piece from someone. You just created an industry. Now they'll take that money and then make another piece of art. And then now they have something to put on their resume, which if they have the marketing support, could go to any tourist who comes there. You could export Bahamian art. And again, the value that we have that no one else in the world has is the Bahamas is the most beautiful country in the world. You see any aerial view, most beautiful country in the world. People are willing to buy art from London and New York. New York is a dirty place ultimately really mm -hmm. in terms of of how it's kept and clean the bahamas is beautiful the brand of the bahamas is all you really need to attach to a product to sell it people come here just to see swimming pigs people in england go crazy have you seen a, the pig in the bahamas is that not insane you could do that with anything and we can make products and services based on our creativity there's tons of talented bahamian who bahamians who went off to school who are intelligent who could be blog writers not for local products, but for architectural magazines around the world or political science magazines around the world. We have the ideas. We just need the people to, to make an investment and take a stand at their own private portfolio level. You don't have to share, but say, hey, I have these are the payments who I'm supporting right now. You should, hey, you should buy this person's product. Hey, you should take part in this. And that's where I think we are moving. We just need to keep pushing it 10 times harder. I like that you said the brand Bahamas. And... I just want to go because I've been sitting here listening, pulling different, you know, information, tidbits from each of you. Um, so I, how much time we have? Okay. So I just want to make this last point. So, you know, let's just think about Brand Bahamas and let's, we have to make some movements forward to where. We don't focus, um, not focus, but we need to come out the mediocrity. And I think that's something that's been perpetuated for a very long time. And finally become like all of you guys to start owning our own, stop complaining and blaming someone else for why we in a position where we in. We need to take 
be proactive in saying, okay, things are the way they are. Let's just let's see the way forward. We The past is already the past. We can't do nothing about that. But let's push forward with new initiatives, new things like that, and, you know, try to overcome these systems that oppress us, whether it be, you know, in black masquerading as our own or otherwise. And, you know, um, I think our viewers will have some great insight, and I feel like we need to have a further conversation on this at another time, because I feel we just scratched the surface. And I thank you all for coming on Everything Cool today. This was a great conversation, and the conversation continues. If you go right below in the comment section. Um, and we're going to have all the information for everybody's handles in the description below. But you know what it is. Peace and love. Yeah, you see. Yeah. Sanity. My mommy hoping nothing happens to me